0: this Morning. I'm going to be uh, ending the series of encounters with Jesus. Uh, that we're looking at the missionary Jesus, who uh, we, we've been looking at stories in the Gospels where Jesus has gone and met someone, encountered them, and how their life has been changed because of that meeting. And this morning, we're going to be uh, finishing the series by looking at uh, in John's Gospel in chapter 20. John was. Um, it's worth it's worth understanding that each of the gospels was written for a different audience. Matthew's generally understood to be written for the Jewish audience. Mark's generally understood to be written for the Romans. Uh, Luke's understood to be written for the Greek Gentile readers. John, on the other hand, he just it's generally understood he just wanted anyone to read it. So there's no specific audience, but that means actually we should all be able to read it and get something from it this morning, which is great. Um, he didn't need an interpreter, which which is excellent. Um, the context of the story we're going to be reading is it's on a Sunday morning. This is the Sunday morning after the Friday that Jesus was died on the He died on the cross, he was buried in the tomb. Then on the Saturday was the Sabbath, so nothing happened then, and then, then comes Sunday morning, and this is where where we enter the story and we um we, we will find out what's going on. It should all be up on the screen? Great, excellent. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, "They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him." So Peter and the other disciple started from the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the stripes of linen, at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have I've, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that he had said these things. <coughs> Pardon me. Write down, right down the mic. Um, guys, let's just, let's just pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come and open up these words to us. Holy Spirit, we love you. We say you're welcome here. Come and just reveal the wonders of this encounter you've had with Mary to us. Reveal to us how our lives can be changed much like Mary's was changed in this encounter. Lord, help us experience the risen Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the story starts off Mary looking for Jesus and that's where where we're going to kick off. But to understand really what's going on, we need need to understand a bit of the culture of what's what what the culture is for in the context for Mary. Mary is a woman living in first century uh, Israel in for for women living Jewish women they were regarded as second-class citizens in that culture so much so that actually in the court of law if a if a woman was asked uh, a woman wouldn't be asked to bring a witness testimony because actually though their testimony was not regarded as uh, reliable uh, and you just think, that's, that's just crazy. How, how, they're, they're a human being. They saw something. Surely that would be worth having the testimony rather than no testimony. But actually in the Jewish culture, that was, they, were so, they were so regarded as second-class citizens, they weren't seen as equal. It'd be a bit like, to a certain degree, say it's 3 a.m., Cheltenham Town Centre, clubs are closing, a fight kicks off, knife comes out, someone gets stabbed, and the only witness is an extremely drunk guy who who can barely see in front of his face if he was to stand up in court he would be it would be torn to shreds because it'd be seen as unreliable and and that that is almost like the context for these ladies actually they were just seen as second class citizens and the testament was not reliable yet here we have the god has chosen a lady to be the first one not only to be the witness to the empty tomb but he said actually you're also going to be the first one to meet the risen jesus The risen Christ, the risen Christ. And so you've got to understand the the radical context that this story is being shared in. And it may not seem radical to us, it might seem, well, that's just, yeah, a lady saw it, that's fine. But actually, in this context, this was radical. And so I think it's important that we understand that. I think what's great, and also sometimes can be confusing, is there's four Gospels and not just one. And, and we have to take that as being great. And if you read all four resurrection stories um, in all four Gospels, they all vary in the information that's shared. And some said, actually, they contradict. Where, actually, I'd argue that, well, actually, all they're doing is sharing different information, and it's about putting this information together to build a bigger picture. So what you find in John's Gospel is Mary is the only lady who's mentioned. You read in the other three Gospels, actually, there's a number of ladies who are mentioned. And so you think, actually, what's going on here? Was it was was it only Mary, or was there a number of a number of ladies who who were at the tomb and and saw the empty tomb? Well, I think let's start uh, jump back to verse two, which says, uh, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they're him. So the assumption is actually there's more than one person, more than just Mary at the tomb. So this is a bit like, we go back to our Cheltenham story at 3am and let's just say, rather than there just being one extremely drunk witness, let's say there's ten extremely drunk witnesses. Suddenly, if all, ex, all ten of them, extremely drunk, are sharing the same story to the police and say, I saw this, I saw this, then actually suddenly that the testimony carries a lot more weight because that even though they were drunk, actually, there's ten people all saying the same thing, and so in this context, the fact that there's a number of ladies would just carry more weight, even though they are regarded as second class citizens. Okay, I think it's worth noting that actually Jesus was radical in his approach to women. He was radical in his approach to uh, culture. He wasn't. He wasn't. Um, should we say penned down by the kind of the rules of the culture, which weren't godly, and so he. You, you read through the Gospels and again and again and again he's befriending women, he's speaking to women where actually the Jewish leaders would be looking down and thinking, what are you doing? He, uh, many of his followers were women. He was radical um, in his approach to women. But we need to understand as well, not only was Mary a lady, but actually she also came with, should we say, a risk, a risky story, a risky background. She wasn't clean cut, she wasn't... So let's say if we're going to pick our one drunk witness, actually, let's pick the one who hasn't had any criminal convictions before, because actually, he's going to be the one that's going to stand up in court with the most most reliability. Actually, this was a lady who came. We don't know. We assume she. We don't know whether she had a criminal conviction or not, but she came. She came with a story. Over the years, um, you might you might have heard certain people say actually uh, they regard her as uh, the story in the early in the gospel where John uh, John. Where Jesus uh, saved a woman from being stoned by the Jewish leaders, who should, this lady had been caught in the act of adultery, many people believe that to be Mary Magdalene. Again, you might have seen the Da Vinci Code book and film came out a few years back. Um, that in that story, that that story really pushed the fact that Mary Magdalene she married Jesus, they had kids, moved to France, and, and all this. So, actually, this is this constant story of Mary, Mary Magdalene about actually. Uh, to, stories coming up about her uh, let's say her uh, sexual behaviour outside of of uh, the context of what we would regard as um, appropriate um, but actually there's no evidence for any of this the Bible does not give us any declaration, declaration that actually Mary was uh, sexually active in ways that were inappropriate. There's nothing about that. This is all kind of tradition that's kind of built up over the years. And so we need to make it very clear that the only thing the Bible says about Mary's background, uh, and this is what you need to hear, is that she was healed of seven demons. That alone is pretty horrendous. And you think actually her life beforehand must have been pretty crazy. And actually, let's face facts, there probably was some sexual activity which which may have even caused part of this uh, tradition and understanding of her to have these kind of like um, uh, rumours go on around her. That might have come from her past, but we don't know. It's just hypothesising. Either way, she was healed of seven demons, and so we know her life was pretty horrendous before. So she came with a background story. Um, So she was a risk. So the question is, why would Jesus choose to appear to Mary before any of his disciples. Even John who, John, who writes this gospel, we understand he's the one who describes himself as the one that Jesus loved, his beloved disciple. And yet, John didn't choose to reveal himself first to him. He chose Mary. You think a lady whose witness wouldn't be counted as honest and reliable, one with a risky background, you think, why would Jesus choose to show himself to her? Well, one reason I think 1 Corinthians 15 says god chooses to use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise so those of you here that think ah oh, i'm never i'm never going to amount to much great because you are the people god chooses to say yeah, i'm going to choose you to you, to show the world my glory because actually we can't then boast we can't say oh yeah yeah i'm i'm amazing at this i'm amazing at this we think actually i'm rubbish at this but yet god used me and we see that again and again in the bible god chooses to use the shame, uh, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise but I think another really interesting thing is in both the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospels of Luke, at the start of the Gospels, there's a whole uh, family tree, a whole family lineage of, uh, for Jesus' yeah, Jesus's family tree. And um, apart from Mary, the mother of Jesus, three other ladies are mentioned in the lineage. One's a lady called Tamar, one's a lady called Rahab, and one's a lady called Bathsheba. Some of those names you might recognise... All three, um, the stories are in the Old Testament, you can read about them. All three of them have um, were either prostitutes, committed adultery, or some sort of sexual acts which brought disgrace. But yet, in this amazing work of God, he, put, he called these three ladies out of their previous life and into something new. So actually, the names could be written in the, in the very lineage of the saviour of the world to enter into this world. And he says, actually because of your backstory, it does not stop me using you to use you for my glory to bring about redemption to the whole world. Yes. And you think, this is amazing. And I've only just picked out the three ladies, but you could pretty much go through every bloke in the lineage as well and say, actually, he did this, he did that, he did this, and they would have all fallen, all would have been disgraced. Yet. God said, I'm going I'm to use that and use it for my glory. Hmm. And this is what God was doing with Mary. And this is a wonderful illustration that what Jesus has done for each of us. he doesn't care about your bad rep. He doesn't care about what's gone on before. He doesn't care about um, all those things that you feel so ashamed and guilty about. Actually, what he's come to do is come to take away that horrible shame and guilt, remove it, and instead bestow on you honour and glory and say, you are mine, you're my child. And that's what he's done to Mary. And this is what's transformed Mary to to run run to the tomb to find, where is my saviour? Where, where is he? Because she so loves him, because she's been forgiven much, she loves much. This is, that's what Jesus said about another lady who'd been sexually active outside of marriage. Um, early in the Gospels, this lady came to Jesus in tears. She cleaned his feet with her tears and her hair. And Jesus, uh, as she did this, she, she broke um, an alabaster jar, an expensive perfume over him. And the disciples are like, what is she doing? She's wasting this alabaster jar. This is expensive. This is a year's worth of wages just wasted on Jesus. And Jesus' response, he, he rebuked the disciples and said, she's done a wonderful thing. And she said, he said this, because she has been forgiven much, she loves much. Yes. Guys, we need to remember, we have been forgiven much. All of us. We might be great at putting on an act, Actually, we're sorted. You might think, oh, there's Andy down the front preaching. That's because he's uh, got to level 10 on Christianity. Um, no, that's, it's not how it is. Actually, we need to remember, we have been forgiven much. Whether it be we've been sexually active outside of where's deemed appropriate. Whether it be we're, uh, I don't know, we've been getting into fights outside in the town centre like 3am in the morning. Whatever, whatever that shame and that guilt that we carry, God is saying, I can forgive you for that. And because of that forgiveness, actually our response is to love much. And actually that is what fuels our love for Jesus. That is what fuels our drive to be, to live a life that honours him and glorifies him. Not So many people think Christianity is all about rules. You have to do this. The Bible says this, 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 this. If you do all this, then actually thumbs up. You're a great Christian. No. Because, because we're being forgiven much, we can love much. I don't, I don't look after Vic and Jonah, my wife and my boy, because... Uh, i 've been told what I need to do as a husband and what I need to do as a father. I do it because I love much because my love drives and that 's what we do with Jesus because we love him that drives us to 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 do to live a life that glorifies him and honors him. so as a church, guys, we need to remember we 've been forgiven much we can 't be living a uh, we can't be coming to church, faking it in community and pretending we are swords Because actually, one, we're doing a dishonour to ourselves. Two, we're doing a dishonour to God. And three, we're doing a dishonour to each other. I'm not saying we need to just uh, then go out and sin so we can all be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm rubbish as well. God is good. No, but actually, we need to remember we've been forgiven much and so we love much. We need to live as the phrase I guess we've lived in in this church is mask off. We live with masks off. Actually, this is the real me. This is actually I've had a rubbish this week week this week. Rather than saying, Yeah, things are all great. Actually, we live masks off, being real with one another, saying, This is this is our lives. This is where I'm doing good, this is where I'm doing bad. We are all Marys, all of us. Okay? And that's what we need to remember. We've all been forgiven much, whether it be seven demons being cast out of us. Whether it be, whatever it might be that you we can fill in the blank for, actually we've all been forgiven much. So let's remember that. Jesus can use you to shame the wise of the world. Let me just grab a drink. Okay. Part two of this story. We're going to skip that whole bit about John and, and Peter because they're not the, the centre of the story this morning. Mary is, well Jesus is and Mary is the one who's encountered him. So we're going to skip to, um, back to verse 14. Mary says, uh, sorry, Mary doesn't say. The Bible says, um, at this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. She did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you, you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, "Mary." She turned towards him, towards him, and cried out in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means "Teacher." So in this moment, Mary believes Jesus is dead. And when you, I guess, when you experience grief, sometimes emotions can be all over the place, and it, and it can be quite it can be quite a difficult time. And Mary's in this moment where kind of her. Emotions are probably all over the place. She's not quite thinking clearly. And if only she'd just maybe have stepped back and just, just processed kind of these two questions that she'd just been asked by this so appeared to be gardener She might have actually realised what, what these questions meant. The first question, why are you crying? Actually, a, Jesus wasn't asking this question because he didn't already know the answer. It was a rhetorical question. It it was almost like a mild rebuke saying, come on Mary, you you don't need to cry. What are you doing? I'm alive. But probably the more prominent question here is, who is it you're looking for? And probably the interpretation of that question is more so, this was an invitation to reflect on the kind of Messiah she was expecting to find. And that's the question that Jesus throws out this morning to us all. What kind of Jesus are you looking for? whether you already know him or whether you don't know him yet what kind of jesus are you looking for this morning what kind of jesus are you looking for every day when you go to him you see in this in this moment mary's view of jesus is far too small she's got it all wrong you see mary is looking for a dead jesus a dead jesus a dead dead jesus what can a dead jesus do nothing See, this, a dead Jesus is infinitely less great than what he really is as a resurrected Jesus. So the dead, dead Jesus would be found in the tomb. Resurrected, resurrected Jesus, actually, she's going to have to go looking for him because actually he's, he's not going to be in the tomb anymore. And again, this is another beautiful illustration. <coughs> beautiful illustration of all our stories of those who have come to know Jesus. Mary went looking for him, but was looking in all the wrong places. And it was only when Jesus came and sought her, her out that she was able to find him. And that, and that is very much the same for all of us, actually. We might have gone to look for, look for Jesus. We might have gone to look for something to complete our lives, to fill that hole, to think, actually, there must be more to life than what I'm experiencing. But it's only when Jesus comes to find us is when we experience, we can experience the risen Christ. And this is faith by grace this isn 't faith by works so that we have to work really hard to achieve I know what let 's pray let 's pray five times a, a day let 's make sure we uh, 've gone to enlightenment and and climbed the mountain and, and spent forty days on our own let 's do all these things and then we 'll meet god because that 's what, that's what the world will say or the world will say let 's you have to you have to achieve loads. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to earn enough money. All these things, and suddenly you'll be satisfied. Suddenly then, actually, you, don't even, you won't even need this so-called God because actually there's something even even better. And yet there's this constant chasing after this fulfillment, this fulfillment, fulfillment in life. And actually, here Jesus is saying, you can look, but when I come and find you, that's when you experience fulfillment. And that's what he did here with Mary. And this is the faith by grace. So all Christians, to be a Christian... You need to have an encounter with a living Christ. You see, the stone was rolled away. The purpose of the stone being rolled away was not to let Jesus out. Was we, can, we can read the accounts and actually later on, Jesus appeared before his disciples. Um, the, the doors were locked, the room was closed, and yet Jesus was in the room. He, did, he didn't need the door open to walk into that room. The same way he didn't need the, tomb rolled away, the stone rolled away to exit the tomb. Actually, the stone was rolled away so that the witnesses could come in and see the tomb was empty. So we know the tomb was empty. And that is is not debated by... I was about to say, historians, but that's not the right word. Historians, Historians, that's the right word. Um, No no one argues whether the tomb was empty. But people argue what happened after this. um, Where did the body go? That's that's the debate that goes on. So the the stone was rolled away and we know actually... Without a doubt, tomb was empty. But then, that's where the questions come up: What happened with the body? And that's what Mary's question was. She's like, "Where have they put? Where have they put him? Let me find him. Tell me where he is, Gardener. Where is he? I'll, I'll go get him. I'll, I'll sort him out. Just let me know where he is." So these questions arise in about after the tomb is empty. But the empty tomb doesn't answer the. It, it's a bit like, I guess. In some ways, there's this sense of sometimes you have some really clever friends. I've got loads. Most seem to be cleverer than me. I find that a lot. Um, and you get into conversations with them, and they seem to have the answers to everything. And you think, I, I just don't really know where to go with this one. Or, or you go on alpha, and there's there's someone in the in, in the in the room on alpha, and they, yeah, they've just they've just got the answers, and they, they seem to be able to answer everything. But the thing is. Actually, for those people, all they end up with is an empty tomb. They don't end up with the answers to the questions that come from the empty tomb. And this is what Mary... Mary had these questions and she was unable to answer them. And it wasn't until Jesus came and encountered her, suddenly the questions were answered. And that is the same for us. We can come to Jesus with an empty tomb and then he can meet us. And then the questions are answers That Actually, he is the, the risen Lord, the resurrected Lord. And he's the one we can, we can come to. So when he comes to seek us out what happens well for Mary she didn't respond to generic uh, title of woman uh, Jesus called her that and she didn't she didn't recognize it was Jesus she needed t- to have her name called by him so there's a bit I remember a few times as a teenager i would be in a room um, and there'd be quite a lot of people in the room and, and my dad would be over there and would be like dad 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 and he wouldn't answer and would be like Trevor and then suddenly like huh and like he would answer to his name, but he just wouldn't answer to the dad. To dad. Um, so this this is almost something about a name that actually, when our name is called, we think, ah, that, yeah, that is my dad's name. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't named Trevor the, Trevor Junior. That would have been uh, that would have been bad. Um, but yeah, so Mary needed her name called. Whatever was the cause for her blindness. To not recognize that Jesus was standing in front of her. I I I just don't know what it was. She didn't even recognise his his voice. But but the single you the single word of her name being called was enough to remove it at once. And that is what that is what it's like with Jesus. He can just call our name and suddenly it's like, ah, I've been looking for so long and suddenly he's here. I I get it now. Revelation comes. And and it's just great. So if you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know this Jesus, I've, I've never met him, then my encouragement to you is to, to pray and say, God, if you're real, call my name and let me know your voice. Yes. Because in John chapter 10, it says, the sheep listen to my voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out by his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And again in Ziah 43, it says, I've summoned you by name, you are mine. So I think, there's, I think it's worth noting that actually, sometimes people believe actually, uh, so people say to me, oh, when did you become a Christian? And I say, oh, my, um, I was very young, my parents took me to church. And automatically the assumption is, oh, he's a Christian because his parents are Christians. That is not what the Bible says and that is not what my story says either. Actually, I'm a Christian because I heard my name being called. Yes. Actually, I had to have my name being called and respond to the, vo- the voice of, of, my, of my shepherd, my leader. It wasn't because my parents were Christians that actually I became a Christian because that, 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 all that would be would be tradition and rituals and rules. But actually, to come into a relationship with the, with the resurrected saviour, the resurrected Messiah, actually you need to have your name called. And I think it's worth noting that actually, in that, Mary was active in pursuing Jesus. And so for those of us who already do know Jesus, I just want to encourage you, be like Mary and actively pursue him. Say, Jesus, I want to know you again today. Just come and speak to me again. Speak my name. Let me hear your voice. It's a bit like when, when you when you've got a best mate, when they call you up, they don't even need to say who, who it is because actually, you hear their voice and straight away, ah, oh, yeah, I know who it is. Because you recognise their voice. And and I, it's the same with Jesus. I think the more you just tune into him speaking to you and just let him speak into your life, the more you think, okay, that is definitely him speaking to me. That's, that's not my mind. That's not all these other voices that are trying to compete for my attention. That is him. So I think be like Mary. Pursue him daily and just say, Jesus, I want to hear your voice. Come and speak to me. Okay. So if we started off um, with Mary looking for Jesus... Then we, then we got to Mary encountering Jesus. And now we have Mary transformed by Jesus. So we go, we go back to verse 17. It says, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that that he had said these things to her. So what does Mary realise? What has has come apparent to her through this interaction with Jesus, this encounter? And what then do we need to realise as well? Number one, death could not hold Jesus. She went to the tomb... Well, she expected him to be in the tomb because she'd seen him die. The Bible is very clear and explicit in saying Mary witnessed him on the cross. She was here on that day. She saw him die on the cross. And then she was also one of the witnesses to see the body go into the tomb. She saw him die and she was expecting to find a dead Jesus. But this encounter led her to realise that death could not hold on to him. In Acts 2.24, Peter boldly declares it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And what's amazing in this is actually when we come into a relationship with Jesus, when we come into into this deep, intimate relationship with him, this this death that has been defeated by Jesus is also then shared with us. Actually, death no longer has a hold on to us. Death Death can't keep us. Actually, the Bible says it's only momentary. Actually, we might experience a physical death, but it's gone in a moment because actually we can then be with our Heavenly Father, King Jesus I love it where Paul says, Oh death, where is your sting? He says, he says it directly to death because actually he knows death no longer has a hold on him because, of what, because Jesus um, has defeated death and death could not hold him. So that's number one, death could not hold Jesus. Number two, the earth could not hold Jesus. You see, Jesus was a resurrected Lord and he was soon going to gonna become the ascended Lord and it, like he is now. And he was going to go be with his father. So if you carry on reading uh, the the Gospels. You would actually, um, he, well, he ascended to, to heavens and went to go be with his father. And this is what Mary had to realize. So John fourteen says, "I'm going to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, that you may be where I am." So this is why Earth could not hold him, because he was going ahead. He was trailblazing ahead, uh, away for us to go be with our heavenly Father. He says, "His Father is our Father." His God is our God. He wanted us to be with him as well. So he, so he went on ahead of us and he's preparing a place so actually we can go be with him through faith. So death could not hold him. The earth could not hold him. Heaven could not hold Jesus. Mary was so desperate to cling on to Jesus but she didn't want to lose him again. A bit like when a mum loses a child and suddenly she finds something and she, I'm never going to let you go because, because you're my baby. No. i not going to sing that song. <laughs> But, but there's that ele- element of, actually, she didn't want to let him go because she didn't want to lose him again. But the problem, the, not the problem, but the, the thing is that she didn't realise at this time and she realised later is actually Jesus was then going to send his spirit. So no longer was he going to be limited by time and space as he was in his human body to one place. But actually, here he was saying, actually, here's my spirit. It's going out into the world. Wherever you will be, I'm going to be there with you. So... <laughs> And this is amazing. Heaven could not hold him because he was going to be with us all everywhere we go. Whether we jump on a spaceship and fly up to Mars, actually he's there with us. Whether we jump in a submarine, go down to the bottom of the ocean, he's there with us. Whether we're in a hard day at work, actually he's there with us by his spirit. Actually, heaven could not hold him. So, what does this encounter? How does this encounter leave Mary? How does she respond? Well, number four, Mary could not hold on to Jesus. You see, Mary had been so impacted by this moment, by meeting the risen Christ, by hearing a name called, by experiencing the forgiveness that she had he, she had received, that actually she had to go and tell others. Jesus asked her to do it. He said, go and tell my brothers. So she went and did that. And that is what the call is for us today as well. says, so it's so much more comfortable to just to hold on to Jesus oh it's so nice having a relationship with Jesus but Jesus says no I've forgiven you loads love and so you can go and love the world you can love me you can love the world actually go and share this great news with others that actually death no longer has power but people don't need to be afraid of death because actually I've defeated that that actually now I'm seated at the right hand of the Father that actually they can come and worship the living the living God the living King Go and tell them that, that they will never be alone because my spirit goes with them wherever they might be. Mary, this is, this is what I've called you to do. And this is what she went and did. And this is what Jesus is calling us today. They actually, don't hold on to this too tightly. Don't hold on to Jesus too tightly. Go and share him out. Say, actually, there's enough of him to go out. Just go sh- share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your work colleagues. Share it with your neighbours. This is what the call Jesus is asking Mary to do and he asks us to do. He says, because you're forgiven much, love much, because I called you by name. Now go and share this with others. So, I just want to get you all to stand. Um, Andrew and Helen? Andrew and Helen, you are around? Yeah. So the question's that we need to ask ourselves today, are one, are you still looking for Jesus? Are you here this morning thinking, I do not know this Jesus they keep talking about. I do not know this Jesus they seem so excited about. I do not know this Jesus that they seem to want to sing about. Why do they do that? Actually, this morning, you can know him. Because he has thrown an invitation out wide and says, I want to forgive you for everything you feel bad about, everything you feel guilty about and ashamed about and instead replace it with honour and glory. And you can come know me, because I already know your name, and I'll call it, and you can hear my voice. So if you're still looking for Jesus, we would love to give you that opportunity this morning to say, Jesus, I, I want to know you. In fact, if everyone could just close their eyes. Just close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you think, actually, I would like to know this Jesus, I don't know him yet, And I just want to encourage you, why everyone's eyes are closed, just put your hand up. I'm the only one who's going to be looking. As Jesus is calling your name this morning. And sometimes it's just about you saying, actually, open my ears that I can hear that hear my name being called. also if you're here this morning thinking you know what I do know Jesus but you know what life feels a bit dry I feel like I haven't really connected with him I feel like actually if he was to call my phone I wouldn't recognise his voice because it's been, it's been a little while actually he's saying this morning I just want to come and meet you again if that's you as we sing I want you to just put your hands to him and say Jesus just come and feel me again by your spirit that you promised to send to fill me again that I might know you close recognize your voice and for some of you this morning you think actually you know what I just need to be transformed I just need a bit of a a, a power surge a, a kick up the butt and a bit of a you know what Jesus I want to go and share you I want to go share you with my friends my family because you know what? I know you're so great and this is too good to keep to myself those are the three things I want us to respond to this morning. Um, we're going to carry on singing. And while we're singing, I want you to speak to him. And if one of these resonates with you, to say, Jesus, come and hear my prayer. Um, let's worship and uh, we'll give another opportunity to pray.